Thank you, Paula. She has a habit of making me cry before I preach, and then I have a hard time preaching. <laughs> uh, when Paula and I were just seeing each other, uh, I asked her to learn that song. I have a good pastor friend of mine that uh, put it on uh, the stereo. And uh, he said, I want you to hear this song. We were driving to an airport, and he played that song on the, on the radio or stereo. And uh, I told him, I said, you know, the lady that I'm seeing, uh, that God has put into my life, has a voice that's very compatible to the lady singing on the recording. And uh, he said, ask her if she would learn that song and sing it at my church. And so... I asked Paula to sing that song. She says, I'm not a soloist. And she goes, I, I sing better with a group or a choir. And I said, my goodness. I said, you're wasting a talent that God has given you, and you need to begin singing uh, more often in church. And so she learned that song uh, upon my request. And, um, and every time she sings that song, it, it reminds me of uh, really how I feel, uh, um, Paul said he was the greatest of sinners. And I said, Paul only said that because he didn't know Steve Cook. And uh, I, I certainly am unworthy of the grace of God, Man. but God has made me uh, an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And God's never wrong. And so even though I don't understand why he would reach down in such tender, loving mercy and grace to save my soul, I certainly am glad he did. I owe a debt not just to him, but to the world. I was lost. I was a sinner. I was undone on my way to a devil's hell when someone told me about Jesus. That someone was my father. I remember... I remember my father coming home one night in his mid-40s and said, son, I want to talk to you about something. And uh, he wasn't that type of man who would just come in and sit down beside me and say, now, gently, I want to talk to you about something. Usually he was more gruff than that. And he said, something happened to me tonight at Armco where I worked in Ashland, Kentucky. He said, uh, I got saved tonight. You need to get saved too. (laughs) I thought my father had lost his mind. Uh, I I had no idea, first of all, what he was talking about other than it was something religious. And, you know, he talked about finding God and this and that and the other. And I never heard any of this before. Uh, Where, you know, in my home, we weren't a religious family. And I began to watch my father's life for a full year. And I realized there was a radical change that had taken place. You know, a lot of people say that they know Jesus Christ, but their actions speak so loudly, I don't hear what they're saying. And there's a lot of people that are watching you and I who profess to know Jesus Christ that they don't really get it because 
Our life doesn't match what we're saying. Our walk doesn't match our talk. And I'm not perfect. Spend some time with me. You'll see. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I've never gotten over the fact that I deserve hell, but God loved me and saved me. And he wants to save you. If you're not saved, if you are saved, he wants you to go out and tell other people about him. And and really, that's the bottom line. Uh, An old preacher one time was asked the question, in all the years that you've been a minister, what have you learned? He said, I've learned three things. One, the world doesn't know God. Two, God wants the world to know him. And the third thing I've learned is those of us who know God need to tell those who don't all about him. That's the bottom line. That's what it boils down to. And one day we're going to stand, those of us who are saved at the judgment seat of Christ, and give an account of ourselves. And uh, I know that the Bible says that God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. That means that we're going to be crying. I don't know about you. John couldn't even look at Jesus. He fell prostrate on his face. And we talk about, oh, I can't wait to see Jesus. I think when we do it, it will scare us out of our wits. And we'll fall flat on our face because we're so unworthy to look upon our Lord and Savior. Like the man that Paul is saying about He watched the prophets come through. He watched the martyrs come through. He says, I can't go in. I'm not like one of them. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a martyr. And then this great multitude of people came into the the gates of heaven and, and he shouted at the angel, who are these? These are the sinners saved by grace. That's you. That's me. I've never gotten over the fact I deserve hell, but God loved me and saved me. Amen. Well, tonight I want to speak to you about a message that I've entitled Israel's Desolate House. If you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to Matthew 21. I want to read some scripture in Matthew 21. Then we're going to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 21 is where we will begin tonight. As we look at Matthew 21, let's begin reading in verse number 10. And when he was come into Jerusalem, who's he? It's talking about Jesus. When he, Jesus, was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Who is this? Think about that. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. They want to know who it is. And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Of Galilee. I was just in the Galilee a few weeks ago. I I can't read the Bible, having been to Israel 19 times. I can't read the Bible without seeing these places like a movie going off in my brain. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, the religious leaders, those self-proclaimed righteous Jews were taking advantage of other Jews. 
If, if a Jewish person came to the temple to offer a sacrifice but didn't have the money to buy a lamb or a goat, then they would, they would be sold uh, doves and, and pigeons and things like that. And these money changers were making a large profit. They were taking advantage. They would pray with them on Shabbat, the Sabbath, but they would pray on them the rest of the week. And that's what we see going on here. And Jesus sees this in the temple. And he said unto them, it is written, my house. Keep that in mind. If you're in the habit of marking your Bible, underline my house. My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to glean from this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 21 and also chapter 23. Help us to learn something tonight that would strengthen our faith and make us greater witnesses for you. We give you thanks for what our heart has felt, our ears have heard, our eyes have seen. We thank you for this good church, Lord, and for the wonderful attendance that we've seen here this week, for the spirit of this church, the fellowship that we've enjoyed speaking with other people here in, in Winchester, Kentucky. We thank you for your uh, the pastor of this church and his wife, Sharon. Lord, we ask you to bless them, bless the church, bless the rest of this meeting tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus overturned the money changers' tables. He was angry, but he was righteously angry. It's all right to anger, to be angry, if you're angry over the correct things. And Jesus was angry. Angry because people were being taken advantage of by people who called themselves religious leaders. In Jerusalem, you find <coughs> the temple. The temple symbolized the power and the presence of Jehovah God. It was ordained of God. The, tab the tabernacle that was carried around in the wilderness during the, one day, uh, the years of one, uh, wandering around in the desert, the Negev Desert. Uh, during that time, the Jewish people would, uh, would, they would, uh, they would erect a tent called a tabernacle. And there were certain aspects of that that were ordained of God in the Torah, the law. And then there would be a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And whenever that pillar stopped, they were to stop, set up the tent. And then when it moved, they were to move and set up wherever it stopped. And this went on for 40 years. It symbolized the power and the presence of God. And uh, the Queen of Sheba, we know Cleopatra even came. And they saw, they saw this wonderful temple that had been erected in Jerusalem. And, and boy, I'll tell you what, the Jews were so proud. They were so proud of this building. Let me tell you, this is a beautiful sanctuary. It's a beautiful facility that you have here at Landmark Baptist Church. But folks... The church is not the wood and the structure. The, the church is sitting right here. The people make up the church, the body of Christ. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus has a debate, a conversation, if you will, 
with the religious leadership of Israel. And notice he pronounces eight woes upon these hypocrites. Eight woes. I won't take the time to go through chapter 23 and look at these eight separate woes, but I would recommend that you do that. And Jesus concluded his scathing rebuke of these religious hypocrites in Matthew 23 and verse 38. Let's read that verse of scripture, Matthew 23, 38. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Now, wait a minute, preacher. In chapter 21, Jesus called it my house, but now he calls it your house. Question, why the difference? There's a reason for that. There's a reason that Jesus referred to it in chapter 21 as my house, and now he calls it your house. Landmark Baptist Church, what house do we have here? I suspect God, if Jesus came here, he would call this my house. But the, temp, the temple of Israel, the temple that was so, the Jewish people were so proud of in Jerusalem, went from being God's house to being their house. Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 37, Old Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I could see Jesus on the Mount of Olives right now. He looks out across the Kidron Valley and up the eastern slope of the Temple Mount. He looks through to the other side of the eastern gate where the temple was erected. And I can just picture Jesus in my mind's eye saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them that are sent unto thee. <clears throat> How often would I have gathered Thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. You would not what? That's a good message right there. You would not what? I'll tell you what they would not do. They would not receive Jesus as their Messiah. You see, if anyone should have known who Jesus was, if anyone should have recognized the Messiah... That was foretold by the prophets. It should have been the Jew. Because to them was given the oracles of God. To them was given the prophets. To them were given many miracles. God had shown himself favorable to Israel in so many ways. Yet they would not. Can you just picture Jesus standing there with tears rolling down his cheeks? He came into his own, the Bible says in John 1.11, and his own received him not. Thank God for John 1.12. It says, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Have you believed on the name of Jesus? Then Jesus says, behold. That word behold is special. If words could speak, the word behold would be shouting. Behold. It's it really, I can, I, can, I can illustrate that word better than I can describe it. It means wide-eyed, open-mouthed, slack-jawed amazement. That's what behold means. Behold. Your house 
is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. I want you to notice that word until. Let's go back here. Look at that. That word till means until. There are four untils that must come to pass before the second coming of Jesus. Not the secret coming, the second coming. You see, there are three comings in the last days. There's the secret coming. That's the rapture. There's the sinister coming. That's when the Antichrist is unveiled. And then there's the second coming. That's the revelation. There's a difference between the rapture and the revelation, between the secret coming and the second coming. And it's separated by at least seven years, the 70th week of Daniel. So I'm not talking about the secret coming or the rapture. I'm talking about the second coming and the revelation when every eye shall see him and they shall weep and wail because of him as they look upon him in whom they have pierced. You see, during the secret coming, we're going to be out of here in a moment, a twinkling of an eye. Not a blink of an eye, a twink of an eye. Someone measured that and they said a a twinkling of an eye is faster than a blink of an eye. Somebody's got way too much time on their hands, amen? (laughs) But not every eye will see Christ in the rapture. Poof, we're out of here. There are no signs for the rapture. It could happen before I finish preaching tonight. Even so, come Lord Jesus, I say. I'm ready to go home. This is not my home. I'm just a pilgrim passing through. That's the rapture. There are no signs for the rapture. It's imminent. After the rapture, the Antichrist will be revealed. He will enter into a covenant treaty with the nation of Israel. And then for seven years, there will be great tribulation on this earth. At least the last three and a half years called in the Bible, great tribulation. And finally, there's the second coming, the revelation when Jesus comes back on a white horse. Now listen, folks, I was born in Kentucky, but I can't ride a horse very well. I got seven years to learn, praise God, from the rapture to the revelation, from the the secret coming to the second coming. I get seven years to learn how to ride that horse so that when I come back with Jesus at his second coming, praise God, I won't look so clumsy. (laughs) Four untils that must occur before the second coming of Christ. Let's look at these four things. That's my message. The first one, Romans eleven twenty five. Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Let's begin reading Romans eleven twenty five. For I would not, brethren, he's talking, Paul's talking to believers. For I would not, brethren, that you should not be ignorant or you should not be ignorant of this mystery. Now he's getting ready to unveil this mystery. Lest you, be, you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel until when? Until what? Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. What does that mean, that phrase, the fullness of the Gentiles? Well, there's a lot of people today who believe in what's called replacement theology. What was that Greek word I have? What was it real loud? Baloney. 
Listen, the church has not replaced right. Israel. Amen. That's heresy. That's foolishness. God still has a program and a plan and a promise to the nation of Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. But the Bible says that God has blinded their eyes. He hasn't forsaken them. Look at what it says in Romans 11.8. According as it is written, God has given uh, them the spirit of slumber. Eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear unto this day. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is coming to whom? Those of us who aren't Jews. Amen. If you don't love the Jew, you ought to for no other reason than the fact that God is provoking the Jews to jealousy by offering salvation to you Amen. and me. Amen. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentile, how much more their fullness. The riches of the world, the riches of the Gentile, both refer to this dispensation in which we live. We're living in what's called the church age. This church age has been going on for 2,000 years. Someone said, well, it started before Christ was crucified. Listen, you've got to have a resurrected Savior before you have a church. Amen? And Jesus is the head of the church. And we know for a fact that this dispensation has been going on. Ever since Jesus ascended up into heaven, we know that we have a mediator who's making intercession for all who believe. That mediator is Jesus Christ. And so the riches of the world, the riches of the Gentiles, both refer... Both refer to the church age. We're living in the church age, the longest of the seven dispensations. Jonah pictured or showed, he foreshadowed the nation of Israel. Let me explain this to you. Why am I saying that? How did Jonah foreshadow Israel? Well, what did, what did God do to Jonah? Well, he put a call on Jonah's life. And what did Jonah do? He disobeyed the call that God had put on his life. What was the call that God put on Jonah's life? I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to preach to the Ninevites. And Jonah said, I don't want to do that. Now Jonah wasn't afraid to go to Nineveh. Even though the Ninevites persecuted and killed many Jews. Uh, Jonah didn't want to go there. Because he knew if he went there. And preached the word of God to them. God would save them. He didn't want them to be saved. He wanted them all to go to hell because of their treatment of Israel, the Jewish people, his brethren. So Jonah foreshadowed Israel. Jonah got on a boat down in Tarshish, or got on a boat in Jaffa, headed to Tarshish, and he went down to the bottom of the boat and he went to sleep. And of course, we know what happened after that. There was a great storm. God prepared a great storm. And the sailors were all afraid. The sailors were all Gentiles. And they knew Jonah was a man of God. And so they awakened Jonah. And they said, what have you done, thou man of God? And, and of course, then they cast lots and they decided to cast Jonah overboard. And so Jonah became a blessing to a boatload of Gentiles when he was cast overboard. He went down, down, down into the depths of the sea. And God had prepared something else for Jonah, he prepared a great fish. 
And that fish swallowed him. He took a three-day cruise in the belly of a whale, didn't he? And he finally came to the end of himself. You see, Jonah had to come to the end of himself before he could be reconciled to God. Just like you. You had to come to the point in your life where you realized you were lost and undone and you couldn't save yourself. And so you called upon Jesus to save you. And when you called upon Jesus to save you, he delivered you, didn't he? Same thing happened to Jonah. When Jonah was reconciled to God, God had the well, the great fish spit him up on the bank, and he said, now go to Nineveh, like I said. God hadn't changed his mind, and so Jonah went to Nineveh, and he preached judgment. He didn't preach revival. He didn't preach some flowery sermon. He didn't preach some feel-good message. He didn't go there and tell jokes and tickle ears. Jonah went there, and he preached the word of God. He preached judgment. And the greatest revival in the Bible is recorded in the book of Jonah by the Ninevites. From the king all the way down to the animals of their farms, they had revival. And Jonah became a great blessing, not just to a boatload of Gentiles, but now he becomes a blessing to a whole nation of Gentiles. When Israel is reconciled, when Israel finally comes to the end of themselves, and they return and repent and call upon the name of the Lord, guess what? They'll be a blessing to a whole world of Gentiles. Just as Jonah became a blessing to Gentiles, Israel will be the blessing that God always intended Israel to be. For if the casting away of them, Israel, be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? You see, the Jews haven't been cast away forever. They've been set aside, blinded in part. But God is going to bring them back to where that prominent position that Israel once held should be held. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until what? Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. The church age, God is today saving both Jew and Gentile. Romans 10, 12, there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all who call upon him. Jews need Jesus as much as Gentiles need Jesus. That's why God called me to be a missionary, to preach the glorious gospel of Yeshua HaMashiach to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, I invite you to do so. I have many churches and also many individual families that support us not only in prayer but also financially. That you invest in the ministry that we're taking into all the world to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The fullness of the Gentiles refers to the rapture. That's when the church is gone. After the Church is gone, we move into another state. We have to say that the rapture must occur before the second coming. The second until, found in Luke 21, 24, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Let's read that verse. And they, Jesus speaking, and they, the Jews, shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles 
until, until what? Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles began at least 586 B.C. At least 586 B.C. For the past 2,500 years, we've been living in the times of the Gentiles. The Jews have been oppressed by Gentile powers. I can take you back as far as the 4th century. I can take you farther back than that, but let's just go back to the 4th century, to the Council of Nicaea and Constantine, the man who, who established the Catholic Church. He called a meeting. He held a council in Nicaea. And he said, all Christians shall divest themselves from the detestable company of the Jews and enter in anti-Semitism in the Catholic Church. Crusaders came and others came and killed Jewish people. And of course we know that uh, there has been anti-Semitism in a lot of different denominational bodies ever since. I could talk about World War II and how Jewish families were separated from each other, how men and women, babies, old people, all walks of life from the Jewish community were herded like cattle onto cattle cars and taken to death camps like uh, uh, Dachau and, and, and Birkenau, Auschwitz, and other places such as that. I could show you at the Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem, where you could go room to room to room to room and spend a month there and not see it all. And, and you could see the, uh, the remains of, of Jews that were taken to concentration camps and death camps and, 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 and this pile of shoes were taken off the feet of Jewish people, men and women and children. I could show you pictures like this one of men and women in concentration camps, starving to death, and their bones protruding from their bodies. I could talk about Auschwitz-Birkenau, where four million people suffered and died between 1940 and 1945. Less than 100 years ago, this took place, and many Jewish people went up in the smokestacks of Poland and Germany and other places. You see, there has been no peace in Israel during all this time, only periods when there has been an absence of war. Can I tell you something that's hard and painful to talk about? Israel's worst days lie ahead. During the tribulation, two-thirds of the Jewish people worldwide will die at the hands of the beast, the Antichrist. Today, that would be twice the number that died in the Holocaust. Six million Jews put to death. My grandfather's from Berlin, Germany. God called me to be a missionary to the Jew. Doesn't God have a sense of humor? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. It's talking about that seven years between the rapture and the revelation, between the secret coming and the second coming, when the sinister coming occurs. During that seven years of tribulation, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble, that last half of it. It's distinctly Jewish. You see, the tribulation, as well as the rapture, must occur before the second coming. Must occur before the second coming. The third 
until. It's found in Hosea 5.15, all the way back in the Old Testament. And uh, we're just going to read this one verse, look at what it says. God tells Israel, I will go and return to my place until you acknowledge your offense and seek my face in their affliction. They will seek me early. That's what God tells Israel. I'm going to go and return to my place until you acknowledge your offense. What was their offense? They rejected the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. And you seek my face. Jews aren't seeking Messiah's face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. What will cause Israel to finally repent of their sin and to seek the face of God and to acknowledge their sin of rejecting the Messiah? I'll tell you what will cause them to do that. The tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. That's what it's designed to do. Right. Amen. <clears throat> Jerusalem will be attacked by the Antichrist. You see, when the Antichrist, when the beast assembles his armies, he will ascend them in the Valley of Megiddo, what we call Armageddon. But not one battle is fought in Armageddon. That's simply a staging area. That's where he assembles his armies. They will march upon Jerusalem. That's why Jesus told the nation of Israel, Matthew 24, when you see the abomination of desolation take place, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, Daniel 9, 24 through 27. He says, when you see the Antichrist desecrate the temple, when you see the abomination of desolation take place, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, head for the mountains. Where's the mountains? What mountains was he talking about? He was talking about the land of Edom near the ancient city of Basra. That's where the mountains are that he was talking. He said, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. That's what God says is going to happen to Jerusalem. He says in Zechariah 14, 2, I will gather all nations of uh, against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken. The house is rifled. The women ravished. Half the city will go forth into captivity and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. In the land of Edom, and I was just there first part of December, there's a place called the Rose Red City, city of Petra. Many theologians believe that this is where God will prepare a place in the wilderness for his remnant. God has always had a remnant. It's near the ancient city of Basra. It's in the land of Eden. It's in the right place. Whether or not this is the place that God has prepared in the wilderness for the Jews, I don't know. But many theologians believe. To get there, you have to walk 1.6 miles through this crevice in the mountain called the Sik, S-I-Q, just took my whole group of 47 people through the sick and we came out the other side and this is what you see. Boom. The treasury built by the Nabataeans thousands of years ago. And here we are preaching in front of the treasury. This is a place where many believe the Jews will 
will remain until the armies of the Antichrist pursue them and, and surround them. And finally, at that point, guess what will happen? The Jews will come to the end of themselves. You see, there can be no regeneration without repentance. Uh, Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 6. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet said. He's already given them the prayer. Remember Hosea 5, 50, I will go and return to my place until you acknowledge your offense and you seek my face in your affliction. The tribulation is the affliction he's talking about. You will seek me early. I suppose at this time, most Jews will be willing to get on their knees and pray and repent of their sin. This might be the prayer that they need to pray. He is despised and rejected a man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We were wounded. He was wounded, rather, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. I think that would be a good prayer for the Jews to pray because that's exactly what Jesus did for them as well as the whole world. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord God laid upon him, Yeshua HaMashiach, the iniquity of us all. Israel's regeneration must occur before the second coming. And when that happens, listen, when they do that, the eastern sky is going to split wide open. Here comes Jesus on a white horse. (laughs) Praise God. Look at all those people behind him. That will be us, those of us who have been raptured seven years earlier. I told you I had seven years to learn how to ride a horse. Upon seeing Jesus Christ upon a white horse, Israel will then fulfill the fourth until. And that's where we began. Back in Matthew 23, verse 39, Jesus told them, You shall not see me henceforth till you say, or shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. I suppose that the nation of Israel is going to shout glory at that point. I know I would if I was them. You see, Jesus wants to save you. Today, Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Today, God is provoking the Jews to jealousy by offering salvation to you and me. You should take advantage of that. You say, well, how do I do that? A, B, C. Acknowledge you're a sinner. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Call upon his name. It's that simple. He didn't make it hard. So easy a child can do it. A child can do it. If you've never been saved, I invite you to come tonight. If you have been saved, but you're not busy as you should be busy, why don't you come tonight, renew your vows to God. Say, Lord, by your grace, by your strength, by your power, I'm going to put more tracks in people's hands. I'm going to tell people about Jesus more often. I'm going to be a better witness than I was yesterday and today. I can't change yesterday, but I can change today. I can change tomorrow. I can begin doing what I know I ought to be doing. Would you pray? Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for loving us. 
As the pastor comes to give invitation, I pray your will would be done in Jesus' name. Amen.